we move to the second stream of spiritual formation, one that's probably more in line with what most of us would think of when we think about the whole issue of spiritual formation as it moves from compassion and justice to holiness and virtue. Often it is a term, I think, that's misunderstood. Uh, We tend to either see it as a negative, conjuring up pictures of those who may put on airs, act as if they're better than others, and words at least that come to my mind are things like pompous, arrogant, judgmental, or we go to the opposite extreme and see it as something unattainable for most of us. We reserve it for special people, people like a Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or Apostle Paul. Isn't it ironic, though, that we admire people like that And we may say we wish we could be more like them, but then we make excuses why not to put on the shoes, uh, why we don't practice the same disciplines that they say help cultivate holiness in their own lives. It's like watching LeBron James and Tim Duncan in the NBA Finals today. Certainly, they're physically gifted individuals, but there are innumerable people in our world that has just as much potential as they have. What's made them great are the hours and hours and hours of practice and repetition that went into developing the skills and abilities they had. They had the discipline to develop their abilities. Spiritually, it's no different. We get strong spiritually by practicing, by putting on the sneakers, practicing the spiritual disciplines, using what God shows us. What made the Apostle Paul or Martin Luther or St. Francis holy wasn't that they were somehow special or different from us, but they took the great commandment very seriously pursuing God with all their heart and with all their soul and all their mind and all their strength. They did something about it. It used to be a great compliment, a goal of most believers to become holy. There's even an entire branch of Christianity related to Methodism, which is referred to as the holiness movement, whose main aim was to help believers develop the practices necessary to become more holy in their own lives. But when's the last time you heard someone referred to as holy? If you thought about people that you know personally, are there any that you would use holy to describe? What about yourself? Would you dare to think of yourself as holy? Why not? I was rather reading a rather pointed article by respective writer and Christian leader Gordon MacDonald. The article dealt with what we think gives people credibility in the world, reasons why we should listen to them or think we should listen to them. He wrote, I wonder if the idea of being holy is losing ground today, especially among those in a position to influence the church. Are we inadvertently losing interest in being holy in the best sense of the word, and instead spending our energies on problem-solving, success, personal fulfillment, and avoiding anything that smacks of suffering. As I read the blurbs in books about the authors, as I listen to the introductions and read the brochures about speakers at various conferences, 
And as I tune in on the illustrative stories chosen to describe modern Christians, I hear little about anyone being holy. I just hear how successful they are. For all I know, many of these luminaries are indeed holy and embody William Longstaff's four verses poem, Take Time to Be Holy. Perhaps they do take time to be with God. And they do remind their personal friends of Jesus. But if it's true, I'd like to hear a bit about it. It would encourage the rest of us. Unfortunately, Christian leaders are usually accredited to us as great speakers, brilliant and creative thinkers, scintillating artists and entertainers, and powerful organizational developers. But holy people? Maybe that's an endangered species. When was the last time you were invited to meet someone because he or she was a holy person with a word from God. And as I read and started thinking about the words, I realized how true they are. When a speaker comes to Hawaii or publicity starts coming out about the next Hawaii Island Ministries Honolulu Conference, they will promote the speakers, talk about their success, the size of their churches, the books they've published, their accomplishments, their achievements, They might use words like dynamic, gifted, anointed, powerful. Maybe it would come across as a bit pretentious, but I've never seen them give as the primary qualification of why you should go listen to that speaker, being that they're holy. Yet, just a brief survey of the New Testament we find in Romans, Paul refers to all those who are loved by God and called, and that's us, to be his holy people. In 1 Corinthians, he refers to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. In Ephesians, it says, we were chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then a little bit further on, Paul prays that as God's holy people we would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. In Philippians, Paul says he's writing to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. In Colossians, it states that we are reconciled to God through Christ so that we might be presented to God holy, without blemish and free from accusation. And then he refers to us as God's chosen people who are holy and dearly loved. In Thessalonians, it says God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Paul told Timothy that God has saved and called us to a holy life. In Hebrews, it says we have been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus, and that therefore we are to make every effort to be holy, for without holiness, the writer says, no one will ever see God. 1 Peter He calls us a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Second, Peter says we ought to live holy and godly lives. And throughout the book of Revelation, we are referred to as God's holy people. Throughout the Bible, holiness isn't an option. It's a mandate from God for his people. And if you stop to think about it, it makes perfect sense because God is clearly portrayed not only as a God of justice and compassion, but as a holy God. Holiness is one of his primary attributes. It's fundamental to who he is. 
So in Exodus 15, he is declared to be majestic in his holiness. The great song of the angels in Isaiah 6's vision of heaven included the declaration, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the New Bible Dictionary, it states that holiness is at the heart of God's self-revelation and is called to Israel. It is, the writer says, his quintessential nature and his very selfhood. Theologian R.C. Sproul said that the, the word holy calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us that his love is holy love. His justice is holy justice. His mercy is holy mercy. His knowledge is holy knowledge. And his spirit is holy spirit. And that's applied to us. In 1 Peter it says, Just as he who called you is holy, so now you be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And since the aim of spiritual formation is to become like our Father, to be transformed into his image, if God's is holy as we become like him, we become holy also. We take on his holiness. And thus, that is the second stream of spiritual formation, becoming like our Heavenly Father through a holy life. You know, while all six streams of spiritual formation are interrelated, I've intentionally chose to look at holiness immediately following compassion and love because it's a shift from external, how we treat others, to internal. It's focusing, our compassion focuses on our love for other people. Holiness fundamentally focuses on our love for God. Compassion focuses on our actions. Holiness primarily deals with my heart's desire for God. It works itself out in actions. Where compassion is an expression of the second great commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves, and it answers the question, what does love look like? Holiness reflects the first commandment to love God with all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. It deals with longing for God and how can I grow in my love for Him. So when you take the two together, they provide a certain amount of balance. The reality of a holy life is seen as my love for God begins to affect my behavior and love for others. Paul makes that same connection in Colossians 3 when he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people who are holy and dearly loved, now clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Because compassion without holiness leads to compromise. But holiness without compassion leads to a harshness. So what is a holy life? Might at first sound counterintuitive to us because we usually associate holiness with our activities, how we live, our behavior, but it's heart. Godliness, Paul refers to in 1 Timothy 4.7, is a natural byproduct of holiness, not the cause of it. Holiness certainly involves godly living, But that's where the danger lies because when behavior becomes the end, when we're supposed to do these things and we'll be holy, 
We concentrate on our actions rather than our love for God. And that leads to legalism, to judging others on the basis of how they conform to that checklist. When you reduce holiness to mere moralism, do's and don'ts, which is how many people today view the Christian faith, then Christianity is no longer about a, about a relationship with the living God, but little more than a list of prohibitions. So holiness is not primarily an activity. It's a reflection of a heart on fire for God, a heart yearning to know him better. The basic idea of a holy life is to be set apart and therefore available to God. It's not a choice. It's a way of life. Because as God is holy, as we seek him, we are drawn into his holiness. And so our heart, rather than the world, is the workshop of true holiness. It's where it takes place, and then it's expressed outward, being formed into his image. It reflects the transformation going on because Christ lives in us, and it's a fruit of a heart made right with him. Jesus pointed that out when he said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Because what you say flows from what's in your heart. So if you want to be more holy, get to know God. The closer you get to God, the more holy you will be. The more you will be like your Savior, transformed to his image. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright said, Holiness is not a matter of denying something good. It's about growing up and grasping something even better. In other words, spiritual formation. The word holy itself means to be set, aside, set apart. It carries the idea of being different. So the temple in Israel was called holy because it was different and treated differently from every other building in Israel. The Sabbath was to be holy because it was to be different from every other day of the week, set apart for worship and God. The tithe was to be holy because it was money set aside from all the other things given to God's work, treated differently. Israel was called to be holy because God was among them and they were to be different from all the other people and nations. And as a follower of Christ, you're are holy. You're to be different, not better, but different than other people because you acknowledge and serve a living God. So how are you different? How are you holy? It's the same question. How are you treating God differently than other areas of your life? How is the use of your time any different than the world? uses their time, or your money? How's your TV and internet viewing different? Be holy, God says, because I am holy. Be like your father. Which brings us back to the poster and the verses it's based on. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, as they read. Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. 
And for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Paul uses a very specific word here when he talks about physical training. It's a word we know. It's the word gymnase, gymnasium. Instead of wasting all your time on godless myths, old wives tales, he said, do something to grow closer. To contextualize it, we might say, instead of spending all your time in front of the TV or your computer screen, go exercise your faith. Do something to draw near to God. Train yourselves, he says, for godliness. Physical exercise, as he points out, has value. It's valuable for your health. But to really profit by it, you have to get your heart rate up. You have to put some effort into it. You have to work up a sweat. And he said, how much more valuable is spiritual exercise? But for it to really be of value, you have to put some effort into it. Not just do the things that come easy for you. Not just do the things that take no effort. Not to refuse to practice spiritual disciplines like study or reading or prayer or worship or scripture memory or tithing or serving because you don't like them or they're boring or they're hard or because there's other things you'd rather be doing. But if you want to get closer to God, you have to put spiritual effort into it. You have to build up a sweat. You make time and you put effort into the things you care about. Make every effort, Paul said, or the writer of Hebrews says. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so, again, we bring up the issue of spiritual disciplines, holy habits. They're called disciplines because they require intentionality and effort. You put some effort into making them a habit. Paul says, work out your salvation. Not work for it, but work it out. Make it real. You know, in the early 1880s, William Longstaff wrote a poem that later became the hymn that many of us remember. We don't sing it very often. Take time to be holy. In that poem, he points to the disciplines of the holy life, and he does a pretty good job of describing what it takes to be holy. And playing, uh, again, off something that Gordon MacDonald had written, I asked, how might I respond to the various lines of that poem? It says, take time to be holy. Wouldn't I rather settle for the Cliff Notes or the Reader's Digest version? The 62nd devotional? Speak often with thy Lord. Do I pray just when I have time? or when I remember? Abide in him always. Do I abide or do I cut corners? Put God off in one area of my life, of religious duties, and go about my way. Feed on his word, or do I simply read a few verses to start the day, to give me a lift, to face what's ahead? Make friends with God's children. Do I seek fellowship with godly influencers in my lives, or simply go to church once a week and spend all the rest of my time with others? Help those who are weak, or am I more concerned about myself? Forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek, 
Do I take God's blessings for granted as if I deserve what I have? God helps those who help themselves, doesn't he? And when bad things happen, that's God's fault. But the second verse is just as pointed. Take time to be holy, he says. Yet we say, I don't have time. I'm so busy. Thy world rushes on, and I'm busy rushing with it. Spend much time in secret. Secret, I like to brag about the things I do. I want others to know how I serve the Lord. With Jesus alone. What? Turn off my iPad and my text messaging? By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be. But I'd rather imitate my friends. Do what they do. Thy friends and thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Don't expect me to be an example for others. The holy life is an intentional life. You have to work at it. That's why the Lord told Israel, consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart. Put some effort. Work it out. A holy life concentrates not on do's and don'ts, but on how to get close to God, how to love God, how to serve Him. And our behavior in the world is a reflection of that holiness. So Peter says, in your hearts, set apart, sanctify, make holy Christ as Lord. It doesn't take discipline to push a button on a TV remote. It doesn't take discipline to open the door of the refrigerator 10 to 15 times a day. It does take discipline to read God's word, to pray, to worship, to give, to serve, to do any of the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual writer Henry Nouwen said, In the spiritual life, the word discipline means the effort to create some space in which God can act. Discipline means to prevent everyone, everything in your life from being filled up. Discipline means that somewhere you're not occupied and certainly not preoccupied. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said it was common, it was a common saying among the Christians of the early church, the soul and the body make the man, the spirit and the disciplines make a Christian, implying that none could be real Christians without the help of Christian discipline. But if that's so, he asked, is it any wonder we find so few Christians? For where is the Christian discipline? Like compassion, the holy life isn't just for those who are special. It's for all of us. We are all called to be holy, to take time, to get close, to grow in our love. That's the aim of holiness. It works itself out through a life of godliness and virtues, and that's what we'll look at next week. But it starts inside of us and with our relationship with God. Will you please join me in prayer? Our Father, as we do, I pray, seek to become more holy, taking time that's necessary to be holy, not better or superior, not proud or arrogant or aloof, but in love with you and in love with Jesus, because that's where, really where it all starts, that we might live a holy life devoted to you, we pray. In the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen.